This is Black and Gold Rush, the podcast where we talk about all angles of New Orleans Saints football. I'm your host, Rachel Jones, and I've been a Saints fan all my life, so I know just how much this team means to our city, both as a former reporter and from my season ticket in Section 257. Whether it's breaking down game tape or telling an inspiring off-the-field story, I'm here for it because the Saints bring us together. Let's get going. What's going on, Houdat Nation? Welcome to another episode of Black and Gold Rush. It's no secret, the Saints are facing roster challenges they haven't seen in quite a while. Most notably, the first real quarterback competition in about 20 years. Today, I've got WDSU-TV's award-winning sports director, Fletcher Mackle, as my guest. We dig deep into that uncertainty and reflect on Fletcher's recent exclusive interview with Drew Brees, who's of course now taking his football IQ to NBC Sports. Fletcher and I had a great conversation, from what roles we see for Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, to questions about roster depth, it's the dominating issue around this team. And we also look back at the Saints' journey pre- and post-Drew Brees. Of course, you know you've got to stick around till the end for our random round. So if you're ready, let's get started. Well, Fletcher, it is so nice to see you. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nice to see you too. It's been a, it's been a little while. I, I miss you on the Saints beat and the press club and all that good stuff, but I, uh, yeah. yeah, good to catch up. <laughs> yes, we go way back. We've both spent the v- vast majority of our lives in and around New Orleans, got to know each other covering the Saints when I was part of the local media several years ago. So let's go all the way back. Fletcher, describe how sports were a part of your life as a child when you were growing up <laughs> in New Orleans. Um, so my dad was a golf pro. He, uh, uh, he played like on the mini tours and he played like in what is now the Zurich classic. Um, and then he transitioned into becoming a, a a country club pro. And he was at the golf course where the, uh, where the PGA tour event was when I was a kid, it was the, the USF and G classic. Then it was the, uh, the Freeport McMoran classic. And so, um, because of golf, I got to meet, you know, like my dad was, my dad, my father passed away 20 years ago, but he was good friends with like Archie Manning growing up. So I've known the Mannings a long time. So I met a lot of sports people through my dad because it seemed like athletes always play golf and like playing golf. So, um, so I think my brother and I enjoyed playing sports and we played baseball in high school and college. And my dad was a golfer and we got to meet, you know, some of these prominent, more local sports people. That was great. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I kind of think we had an affinity for sports. And then when we found out, wait, you can cover sports for a living. It was, you know, I think we both wanted to do that. So we kind of pursued that a little bit more. Okay. So you started with your family connection, like you said, and you mentioned your brother, uh, who your twin brother, tell us more about your relationship with Travers. I always wondered what it would be like to grow up with an identical twin. Um, and you now work at the same TV station you have for what, almost 20 years, right? Yeah. 18 and a half years. I started at WDSU in, uh, in August 
uh, end of August, early September, 2002. So I've been there, uh, almost 19 years now, 18 and a half years. And, uh, and you know, we had a boss that liked both of us and he got hired about nine months later. Um, he does news. He's one of our diggers and reporters. So, uh, so yeah, so I'll say this. People always ask me what was it like growing up as a twin. I, I don't. I, I always kind of give the same answer, and I apologize. I, I don't know because I don't know what life was like without somebody else. So <laughs> I I was born with somebody and didn't know the world without somebody else to play with or hang out with or do stuff with. Yeah. What's weird now, I think, for people is, you know, we've kind of taken the same path and we work at the same place at the same TV station on air. That to me is more of the unique aspect of who we are and what we do than growing up as a twin. Because growing up as a twin, you know, it was great. I mean, I always had somebody there to to play with and to talk to. And, you know, I mean, we didn't always get along great. Like like other siblings, we fought at times. But um, but I don't know what life was like. It's like asking somebody, you know, what would it be like to be a twin? It's like, I don't know. It's I can envision, like I can envision what it would have been like growing up as an only child or having siblings other ages, but it's it's hard for me to put that in the reality because mm-hmm. I, I don't know what life was like without a twin or somebody else there. Now, as an adult, it's definitely a unique concept because we work together, we do the same thing. And so that is a little bit more of, I, I guess, a novelty, you know, than, than just growing up as a twin. Yeah, that is just fascinating that y'all, that he was hired nine months after you, like you said, at WDSU. I mean, that is just amazing that y'all have been there and grown and and evolved at WDSU together, him in news, you in sports. So that is a remarkable journey on right there in your hometown, growing in journalism together. So what a great story. Um, So let's turn to right now, you just had an exclusive interview with Drew Brees that aired on WDSU after he announced his retirement. Uh, For anyone who missed it, we'll link it up in the show notes. So what struck me, Fletcher, about that was how much Drew talked about growing into the fabric of New Orleans in the past 15 years. Uh, Explain how that resonated with you during that interview. Yeah, I thought he was really good. The interview went about 12 and a half minutes and uh, and it was great to get him like a, a local exclusive interview. So thank you for, for mentioning it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that was one of the things that jumped out at me. And I know he's told the story about coming to New Orleans and seeing the destruction in, in, in the months after Katrina when the city was still uh, in a really bad spot and, and feeling like it was a calling for he and Brittany. Um, but he went a little deeper than that. And he talked about, which I thought was great, because I think it's true is he talked about New Orleans has the reputation of a party city and it does. It's a great place to come and party, to drink and eat and go out and, and, and see all this great culture in parades and second lines and festivals and, and cool architecture and in and, and, and warm weather in the winter. It's great. I, all those things. But he said the one thing that he wants people to know more about is this is a great place to have your family and raise your family, and start a business, and grow a business, because those are the things he's done. All four of his kids were born in New Orleans. All four of his kids have been raised in New Orleans. I mean, his oldest son now is 11. His daughter is five, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, four or five. So they've had their children here. They're raising their kids in uptown New Orleans by Audubon Park, and they love it. 
And, and so, and then he started businesses here from buying in the walk-ons to the Jimmy John's franchises to now he and Demario Davis are trying to buy the old six Flags site to do something special out there. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, I think that was something that I thought was a really great part of the interview was him talking about new Orleans and not just as a party city, but as a place that you can start a business, you can raise a family and there's a lot of great things to this city. And as somebody, you know, like you, that's from here, mm-hmm. you, those are the things you want to hear because yeah. you want, you want to be proud of new Orleans, not just, Oh yeah, you can party, but that's about it. It's like, no, no, there's, there's other good things that can happen here and take place here. It's so true. He was really taking on that role as an ambassador for, for the city. It, it, it's so valuable. And he did that from the beginning. The second he got here, he felt like, like you said, it was a calling for him and Brittany to become enmeshed in the city at a time when it was at its lowest point and he himself also needed a resurrection in his football career. So it was the perfect, it was the perfect, you know, marriage for lack of a better word at, at the time. And now, you know, that he's retiring, he said he's just retiring from football, you know, not from new Orleans. So that was great to hear. And he also told you that he's as excited to be in the NBC booth with Mike Tirico as he was to throw passes to Michael Thomas on Sundays. Now, you've been a broadcaster at WDSU since 2002. Give us a prediction for Drew's future in the booth. Oh, I think he's going to be great. I mean, I look, Tony Romo has kind of become the gold standard on CBS, and Troy Aikman is an institution at Fox. I, I love Chris Collinsworth. I know people run hot and cold with Chris Collinsworth, but I'm a big Chris Collinsworth guy. I, Think Chris Collinsworth is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like Tony Dungy at NBC, uh, even though he doesn't always, you know, do uh, the, the color commentary yeah. like Collinsworth does every Sunday night. I think Breeze and Tarico on Notre Dame games, I think, look, and, and you were around Breeze and you covered him. Mm-hmm. He is insanely prepared, very regimented, committed to anything he's a part of. I, I think that is going to translate to him doing his homework, being in the booth, doing a great job. Uh, and and then the 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 IQ and the understanding he has of what's going on on the football field. Look, Tony Romo prepares, but everybody always jokes he's calling out plays and dissecting plays before they even happen because he understands coverages and what's going on. I think you're going to see something very similar from Drew Brees that I think he's going to be a pretty instant success in the broadcasting booth because his football IQ is through the roof. He's personable and smart, and he's not doing this. Yes, he's retired, and yes, he's going to spend more time with his kids. But I still think he's going to commit himself to watching film, studying the tape, understanding what he's doing. He's not showing up to wing it on Saturdays and just ad-lib through it and tell old war stories. Mm-hmm. He's doing it, and he's going to do it at a high level. I, I, I would predict that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that he it's going to be must see TV when he's when he's up in the booth for sure. That preparation, that commitment, football IQ is going to is going to translate, no doubt about it. Um I remember in um I had Jeff Duncan on the on the podcast and he said that, you know, Drew Brees's preparation and commitment even if he was like a just a a businessman or a banker, like he would be top of his field, no matter what he was doing, you know, like Drew Brees has that kind of, of drive that 
to succeed no matter what he does. So yeah, I think he's going to translate to the broadcast booth and right. Bring, bring something special to alongside Mike Tirico and the Sunday night team as well. So to kind of piggyback on, on that, it's safe to say Drew Brees is leaving the saints better than he found them. Another, (laughs) another thing that he mentioned to you in the, in the interview, but you know, his message about always wanting to mentor young guys and give them the, the keys to the kingdom, the trade secrets, you know, he told you that it was different than what some of his own former teammates like Doug Flutie previously told him to never let backups get a leg up. You know, we saw (laughs) Jameis Winston for, you know, get downright emotional talking about Drew's impact on him. So Fletcher, what does that say about Drew's influence on the game? First of all, and B, Winston's readiness to earn the Saints quarterback job. I mean, we saw him passionate with the media, very raw, and seems like he wants to earn his opportunity. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I I I think Drew Brees, it's just, I, I don't know if the Saints are ever going to be able to, like, they're never going to be able to replace him. Replacing a legend is, is always hard. And there will be people that are compared to Drew Brees. But what he's been able to do, just the way he approached the organization, life, the game, everything, it's just so hard to duplicate. What you're saying is right. Leaving it better than when he found it. Ultimately, you know, committed to one goal of winning a championship and making this organization better and making people better and doing it in a selfless way. I mean, look, I we could spend the next few hours giving examples of why he's so great and there's there's just these guys don't grow on trees they're just you know there's only a handful of them in all of professional sports and he's one of them and so um i I just don't think look we're going to dream about replacing him and and, and i hope they can replace him and find that leadership and have a a great organization but i think the good news is is he has turned the organization or or very been a large part if not single-handedly turned the organization into something truly special that is looked at in a different way that will forever be held in, in different regard now because of, of what he's been able to do. And it's other people, Mickey Loomis, you know, being the architect of it, Sean Payton being an offensive innovator and and an unbelievable motivator. Um, But Breeze obviously being one of the 10 greatest quarterbacks ever at the prime of his career, doing what he did, it's hard to replace. Mm -hmm. So saying all the things he said doesn't surprise me and hearing it makes you understand how great he is. Replacing him is going to be hard. And look, I get it. Jameis has, has said all the right things so far. And I hope that, look, he had some transgressions early in his career that are hard to overlook. These are not just, you know, minor transgressions, but I, I, I think we're all about forgiveness and second chances. And I think that the saints feel like he has matured and, and, and they're, they're a mature organization that does things the right way. We obviously know how great Breeze is. So I think they feel comfortable because Jameis's ability is through the roof. I mean, there's a reason why he was a number one pick. So I, I like what I've heard from Jameis Winston. Um, I still think there'll always be doubts, or at least for the next few years, there'll be doubts. Can he stay focused? It, uh, you know, it, he's married now. He's got a young child now. He's been through some, some rough things personally. Is, is he a better man because of that? The Saints feel comfortable enough to, I think it's going to be a competition with Taysom Hill, but I think Jameis Winston is going to 
inevitably beat out Taysom Hill. And you're going to see Jameis Winston with Taysom Hill back in his gadget role. Um, so we'll see how it works out. And then, see, talking about taste, excuse me, Jameis is twofold to me. Mm-hmm. Jameis, the human being, is one thing. Maturing, trying to become a better person, getting past his past transgressions. Mm-hmm. Jameis, the player, is another thing. And, and that's the other thing that I question is, is, is he going to be a turnover machine like he was at Florida State or like he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think the Saints are going to put him in a situation that is reminiscent of what we saw from Teddy Bridgewater when Teddy was a game manager for those five games because the Saints have great talent still. Even though they lost depth, they still have Kamara and Thomas and Ramchek and Armstead and McCoy and Demario Davis and Lattimore and Cam Jordan. So I think they're going to tell Jameis, we just need you to be a great game manager. You don't need to go out and throw 450 and four touchdowns. We just need you not to turn it over four times a game. And they'll let him evolve into the position in their offense. But I, I understand why they're doing what they're doing with, with Jameis Winston. But that being said, I still think there's a lot of uncertainty around this organization as they go forward because they did lose a lot of depth. They lost the greatest player in franchise history. And there are a lot of question marks at the most important position on the field. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason, to say the least. Oh, my gosh. You hit on it right there. So much uncertainty, more than more than we've seen in almost 20 years, I would I would say, you know, a at the most important position on the field. But they've lost so much depth, like you said. But that's our. You made an interesting point, Jameis the person versus Jameis the player. I let's let's dig into that a, a little bit more. Um, as far as what this offense is going to look like, if he does enough to to win the job, um, do you think that Sean Payton would try to unleash more explosive plays on offense, or do you really think that he's just going to be more of a game manager? So, look, I remember in the heyday of Drew Brees in 09, 11, 13. I mean, look, the Saints always had that dynamic player that could stretch the field going back to 06. I mean, but you think about it. It was Devery Henderson for a while who was kind of their deep threat. Then it was Robert Meacham. They brought in Ted Ginn. They always had that guy. And in recent years, that's been the big knock on Drew Brees, that maybe he can't get this team vertical anymore down the field, that he doesn't have the arm strength to do it. And and I don't think that that was uh, uh, an untrue statement. So do I think that Sean Payton will take more shots down the field if Jameis Winston's his quarterback? Absolutely, because he has the ability to do it. Do I think Sean Payton will do it to the extent that he's going to put Jameis in a bad spot? Because that was Jameis's problem with Bruce Arians and with Dirk Cutter and with mm-hmm. Lovey Smith is everybody wanted to show off Jameis's big arm and get the ball down the field and let Jameis throw the ball down the field, except they threw the ball down the field and they turned the ball over a lot. So I, I don't think they're going to do anything that is detrimental to what they do. I, I, I think Sean Payton will take some shots down the field, but I don't think he's going to go out of his way to change the offense. I think that it will, I think you'll see something more like what San Francisco did with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo, the year that San Francisco went to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there was a playoff game where Jimmy Garoppolo threw eight passes or something like that because they just grounded it out and dominated a team on the ground and defensively. Um, but when he had to win the game against the saints, Jimmy Garoppolo could air it out and get it down the field. I think the saints are going to be, 
very game plan heavy from game to game. And, and look, there was a game when Teddy Bridgewater played for the Saints. They were they were facing Tampa Bay in Jameis Winston back in 2019. Tampa had the worst secondary in the league. Teddy aired it out like crazy and threw for 330-something yards and three touchdowns. There will be games that they'll let Jameis throw the ball down the field, but there'll be other games where I think they know we're playing a pretty awesome secondary here, and we need to rely more on you managing the game and you not hurting us to lose the game. So I, I think you'll see him take some shots, but I think it'll be more of an – I think they'll be very guarded with Jameis to start and let him evolve. Okay. not just throw them out there and say, hey, dude, let's throw 40 times and try to go for 450 and four touchdowns in week one. Yeah, right. The The point about about targeting it for, for each game, making it game plan heavy. I mean, they still have, you know, Kamara and Murray, you know, the the offensive line. The, I think that they really need to to think about their, the success that they had in the run game and 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 dedicate to that as well because a, ba- a balanced offensive attack could serve them well they've got to take care of the of the of the interceptions make sure that is not an issue with Jameis because that was certainly a knock on him in Tampa Bay for sure so all right let's look at the depth issue real quick um the the Saints did just sign on a Wednesday night they brought in Nick Nick, Nick Vanette at uh at tight end alongside uh Adam Adam Troutman uh, I had a feeling they were gonna bring in somebody uh, a veteran tight end um, because of the release of uh, Jared Cook and Josh Hill uh, Adam Troutman has uh, blossomed nicely but I thought that I thought they were gonna for sure bring in another body um, alongside the second year Troutman. Um, but um, what is it possible to even pinpoint just one major need for, for the Saints right now? I mean, the middle tier of this roster is just going to look nothing like what it looked like uh, this past season. Yeah, I, and look, I agree with you about the tight end position. Yeah. Troutman's going to be tight end one, mm-hmm. obviously. I, I think they like him a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I think that you have a guy like Garrett Griffin, who's been up and down from the Air Force Academy off the practice squad. Um, I mean, he caught a touchdown in a playoff game a few years ago. So I think they like him. I think Taysom will continue to play his jack-of-all-trades role as a hybrid mm-hmm. tight end. But they needed a guy like this. This was the Josh Hill type. This is a 265-pound who, for all practical purposes, guy is, is, is a blocking tight end. Yeah. And that's going to allow Troutman I think Troutman can block, but I think they they plan on utilizing him more in the passing game. Um, so I think that this guy fits what they do as far as the the Josh Hill role. He can do a little bit of everything, but really he's a hand in the dirt that can get after it blocking, and you know he's going to be solid in the run game, and, and that didn't surprise me. As far as the glaring needs, I would say I look at two as one and one A. Starting cornerback, starting linebacker next to Demario Davis. Obviously the Saints, because of the salary cap situation, and you just mentioned the middle tier of the roster, Janoris Jenkins had to be released. They don't have a lot of depth at cornerback. So we know Marshawn Lattimore's back. We'll probably get a deal. Do they draft a guy in the first or second round? Do they look for another bargain free agent player to bring in? Um, but they have a hole at their starting cornerback position, and I don't know how they fill it. And then at linebacker, Juan Alexander was released. Mm-hmm. Alex Anzalone, they like going free agency. Right. Zach Bond is a young player. I don't know how much they trust him, but they. Uh, I, I just look at it and say that 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 linebacker next to because they really while they play a four three, 
they really play a hybrid four two five where they only play because they 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 played Malcolm, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, and Marcus Williams, those three safeties yeah. out there. So they play almost entirely in this hybrid four two five. And and last year it was it was Demario and Anzalone. And when Anzalone wasn't playing well in coverage, they went and got Quan Alexander. But now both those guys are gone. So All right. So say, is Zach Bond ready for to to be that that know. that guy? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm not sure. So I, I don't think he is. And I think they also drafted him. I mean, here's a guy in Zach Bond that really wasn't a traditional linebacker in college. So he didn't really play in coverage. He played he played almost as a hybrid defensive end, is is a guy that rushed the quarterback. So I think he's still learning how to play in coverage, and, and how to play as a starting linebacker. And look, I hope he makes that leap, but I don't know if he will. So I think that cornerback one, linebacker 1A would be okay. the two biggest needs, I would say, as they, as they continue in the offseason, shopping for bargain basement guys and, uh, and enter the draft looking for players to fill those voids. Yeah, spot on, spot on. Well, this is an off season of yes, uncertainty, like we said. I mean, it's been a while since we've had so many questions. Certainly at quarterback. I mean, twenty plus years. I mean, we had the battle, pseudo battle, I guess, between Aaron Brooks and Jeff Blake. But you really have to go back to almost like the Billy Joes under yeah. Mike Dick. I mean, all I remember from that era is a lot of losing, <laughs> Fletcher. <laughs> You're right, and let me say this: it was it, like we and I, I mentioned it. 20 years ago, the Saints won a playoff game in 2000. Right. Jeff Blake was the quarterback. He, he broke his ankle and got hurt. Aaron Brooks took over, started at the end of the season, won the playoff game. They went into training camp saying it was an open competition. But because Brooks was the younger player with the crazy upside who had won the playoff game, I think everybody knew it was going to be Aaron Brooks. But they called it a competition, and it was a competition. But I think they'd already decided. So you're right. Going back to the... Billy Joe Hobart, Billy Joe Tolliver days, yes. which, I mean, that's, those are some dark days in Saints history. It's been 20 years since we've had an all out quarterback battle because Brooks was the guy and then Breeze was the guy for 15 years. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an off season like no other. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you won't, I, I wish you were still here covering it. You'd have a lot of time. I know yes yeah it's so true I think every Saints fan uh remembers where they were for that uh 2000 December 30th 2000 I believe was that uh was the date of when uh Hakeem drops the ball that uh first playoff victory uh I was at my great aunt's house it was actually after her funeral we all gathered all my cousins and I gathered and we watched it um But anyway, so on that note, Fletcher, let's move into our last segment, what we call the random round, uh, quick questions and quick answers to close out each show. So I'll do my best. All right. Yeah. We'll start with our our first question. What is a sports venue you have not been to that you'd love to visit? Wow. That's a good question. Put me on the spot there. Um, Sports venue that I've never been to that I would like to visit. Uh, okay, Augusta. I've never been to the Masters. I'd like to go okay. to Augusta National. Right, and you mentioned that your dad being a being a right. golf pro. That's yeah. A, my parents have been a lot, but I've never mm-hmm. been. So yeah. Right. Okay. Great answer. All right. D- describe Drew Brees in one word. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, great. Perfect. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Well, as a young man, I would have loved him been a professional baseball player like so many other people that want to do sports and things like that um 
but as okay. a 46 year old man who like, you know, realizes his athletic limitations. Um, I don't know. That's, these are good questions, Rachel. God, putting me on the spot here. What other profession would I want to attempt? I'm trying to think, obviously, I don't think I'm going back to school to get a medical degree or a law degree or anything like that. Um, wow. I mean, you could say baseball player. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So we'll go back in time and I I would have dreamed of, oh my God. Or, or let me say this, maybe something in professional sports, like something like working, like tried to say, Hey, like get with an organization and work in the, in, in, in some capacity with a professional sports organization. Perfect. Love that. All right. Or or I'll say this. Mm -hmm. I like politics too. So maybe politics, you know, maybe not like running for office, but like working for a politician Mm -hmm. in some capacity. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, this one's a little bit easier. What is a food you could not live without? Uh, Avocados. I I, I usually have an avocado every morning for breakfast with some coffee. So I, I don't know if I can live without my avocados. Interesting. Avocados. All right. Name a role model who impacted your life. Wow. That's another good one. Um, So Jim Henderson was good, a good family friend of ours. And, you know, growing up, he was friends with my dad, obviously legendary sports anchor here in New Orleans, voice of the saints for 30 years. Um, So I think that he kind of shaped my brother and I saw what he did and he was always receptive to us and helped us. There's so many people, you know, Mike Haas, Lionel Bienvenue, Rich Lenz. I could go on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, Stan Barrett, who, Stan Barrett at ESPN. I sure. interned for Stan Barrett, Ro Brown. I interned for at WDSU, who was instrumental with my brother and I. And Stan and I still stay in touch with, uh, with Travers and I still stay in touch with Stan. So yeah. there's a lot of people, but you know, Henderson was kind of like the gold standard. So I would probably say Jim Henderson. Great, great. A well-known sports name in New Orleans for sure. Okay. Two more. What's okay. one piece of advice you received that helped you get where you are today? Uh, so somebody told me like, he's actually a news director at a rival station here in New Orleans. But when I was a young journalist, he told me, you know, you're a storyteller and he goes in, in television news, tell the story, the whole keep it simple, stupid, the KISS theory. But he goes, here's the thing, pick a character, have a beginning, middle and end and tell the story around them. And it was like a revelation when I was a senior in college. It's like, oh my God, like if I'm telling the story, I'll start with Rachel Whitaker. And it's kind of like, like who you are, then go into your podcast. And then it, so just a beginning, middle and end. So I still use it to this day. Like pick a character, tell the story around them. And it's the easiest thing in, in television. news. It's easy, but it's the best way to do it because at the heart of heart, that's what you want to do is tell somebody's story. So, yeah. um, so he gave me that piece of advice and, and I still use it to this day. Wow. I love that. All right. And if you could spend an hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be? I mean, I would probably say I'd like another hour with my dad because he died suddenly in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would probably go with, with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I could obviously pick somebody throughout history or time just to pick their brain. But mm-hmm. as I answer this from the spur of the moment, I'll just go with, you know, my father sure. just to have one more hour with him. Oh, beautiful. And finally, where can listeners connect more with you? Uh, WDSU TV um, and that, or, or our social media platforms or our website. 
and uh, really on Twitter, I am at Fletcher WDSU. And uh, so that would probably be the best way to get me. Awesome. Well, Fletcher Mackle, it has been such a pleasure being with you. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Black and Gold Rush. Make sure to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice and leave a rating and review. Also, I'd love to connect more. Come say hey on Twitter or Instagram at RachelW504 and let me know what you thought of this episode. For show notes and more, head over to my website at rachelwjones.me. Until next time, ooh dat.